Take your Bibles and open to Matthew chapter 6. Uh, that's page 811 in the Pew Bibles if you don't have your own. As we're working through the Sermon on the Mount, the collection of Jesus' teaching that Matthew begins his gospel with, chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, rightly deserves its reputation as a high calling for what Jesus lays out for what it means for us as his disciples to follow him. Uh, we come today, the question that I'm sure is not hard for you to answer, what, what, what has you worried? What makes you anxious? There are books by that title. We live in an anxious age. There are statistics that reinforce that, uh, and, and even in terms of just formal diagnoses, uh, anxiety disorders are on the rise, and especially so uh, if you're 25 or younger. Uh, you seem to be in a generation that is especially worried, feels unstable and unsure, and not, not without the resources to handle that. So what, what worries you? What makes you anxious? It's a temptation that's faced, I think, probably every generation and every part of the world, because none of us know the future. Uh, we feel like our lives often get out of our control, and so Jesus brings up how we handle anxiety. Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 25, gives us some, I, I pray as we read, you know, and think together today, resources to root out the worry, um, because there's really no need for it when you see the good graciousness the Almighty, and do what we've said, but ponder what he can do. Let's read together Matthew 6, starting in verse 25. Therefore I tell you, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yeah, your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, in all his glory, was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you? Oh, you of little faith. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Um, Bobby McFerrin had a song in the 80s, right in the middle of my childhood, uh, Don't Worry, Be Happy. I learned this week it was like voted like the most whistleable song on somebody's, you know, I, you know that was a thing, right? Just don't worry, be happy. Timon and Pumbaa taught us uh, Hakuna Makata, don't worry, no worries, you know. Um, those are both kind of fine-sounding, very whistleable, catchy tunes that seem pretty trite. But I'm going to riff on that. I think Jesus' main idea here is don't worry, be righteous. And I hope that probably sounds just as oversimplified as don't worry, be happy. I hope by the time we're finished unpacking these verses uh, that there'll be a lot more depth 
to that little simple statement, don't worry, be righteous, that maybe you feel like right now. Uh, Particularly if you are someone who struggles persistently with anxiety. I bet that sounds especially shallow. Because you feel the weight of that anxiety so persistently in your life. Maybe you're here this morning and despairing that anything will ever be done about that. And I'm not going to give you an easy solution. Jesus doesn't give us like quick fixes. But even in the worst of anxious conditions, what we see that Jesus opens up for us can be incredibly helpful for us if we will spend a life pondering the goodness of our Heavenly Father. So don't worry, be righteous. We're going to think about first why we worry, why we shouldn't, secondly, and then what we can do about it. That's kind of the overview of what, what Jesus leads us through, why we worry, why we shouldn't, and what we can do when we experience it or just in general in life. So first, uh, why we worry. Why worry? Uh, and I, I bring this because, you know, the very first word in our, verse, our passage today, verse 25 says, therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. And I learned very early in my life as a Christian, when you see the word therefore, you should always ask, what's the therefore? Therefore. Why is Paul or Jesus or Peter, why does the scriptures connect what we're seeing today, don't worry, to what's come before, right? So the first thing we want to think about is why we worry. That's point one. Why worry? What's the therefore, therefore? Jesus thinks this uh, pressing on our anxiety is appropriate at this moment in his sermon. Um, Some reason those first century disciples might be tempted to anxiety as they're sitting around listening to him. And why might they do that? That's what that word drove me to ask. So let's just recap what Jesus has, has told this group of disciples sitting on a hillside uh, up in the Judea, um, Galilee. He started with blessings, right? Blessed, blessed, blessed are you. Uh, and those blessings were almost upside down of what we expect them to be. And they ended, right? If you remember his, his final like summarized blessing is blessed are you when everybody hates you and slanders you and persecutes you. I think if you were sitting on the hillside that day, you might have thought, wait a minute, what? (laughs) Hatred, hatred, slander, persecution, because we follow Jesus? And disciples have found all through history, the history of Christianity, that is in fact true. That following Jesus invites hatred and slander and persecution. Uh, He told us we had to be whole and perfect. Like God our Father is whole and perfect. Which among other things means if you follow Jesus, you have to spend your time and your resources reconciling with everybody you have conflict with. You don't get to ignore the conflict and wish it goes away. You don't get to escape from it if you're going to be a Christian. You have to go pursue reconciliation. He told us we can't just throw away our husbands or our wives when they don't uh, make us happy and they're a drag on our emotional state or our financial situation. We have to stay in those commitments that we've made. We have to work through those problems. We have to be faithful We can't make contracts or business deals or promises of any kind and then find technicalities uh, and evasions to get out of them if they go bad on us. When we obligate ourselves to something, it's just a yes. It should be yes. And we we can't weasel out. You think about the kind of ways that the present obligations bear on what the future is that you don't know. Living the way Jesus has called us to live seems pretty risky. And then in chapter 6, he warned us that even if we do these things, we can do them for the wrong audience. We can do them for people to be praised by them, and then we get nothing from God. Instead, we should do at least some of them in secret, where our Father, who sees what no one else does, will reward us. So we should be trusting God's grace and God's generous gifts so thoroughly, we saw last week, 
that we're putting all of our eggs in his basket, storing treasure in heaven and not on earth. Looking at the world with a generous eye, not amassing for ourselves what we might think would give us comfort or security or control. Or that's dollars and cents, vacation time and entertainment, you know, friend networks and community clout, kind of whatever that is. Last week, we saw Jesus telling these disciples, don't hoard it for yourself. Have a generous eye. Give to the world and store treasure in heaven. And I think just even that last instruction all by itself is enough to generate anxiety in us. Wait, if I seriously try to live that way, Whatever it is that I think is giving me comfort and security and control right now, I'm going to start giving away more generously. How can that not provoke anxiety? And so Jesus addresses it. Therefore, this is why we worry, because he's called us to live in a way that's radically at odds with the world, which obligates us to do things that might be very painful or difficult for us to do, and then we have to stay in them and keep our promises and do what we say and be generous with everything God gives us. And so Jesus goes, he goes way beyond, right? Don't be anxious about your luxury. He says, don't be anxious about your life. That's one of the great parenting conversations, right? Is to try to parse out the difference between wants and needs. When your child says, I need this, and you're like, nah, you don't need that, you want that, Right? And yet Jesus knows that distinction very well. And he goes right for the needs, food and clothing. All the way to the most fundamental things we might be anxious about. He presses us not to be. We live in an anxious age that is full of this kind of worry. And it will be a temptation for anyone who takes Jesus' teaching seriously. Worry, anxiety at some level will be a problem. It will occur to you and in you. We will do it because we live, and Jesus, as Jesus taught us to live at odds with the world, and if we follow our master, and we were talking about this in focus in the student Sunday school this morning. I mean, the, the Christians, you see Peter and John in the early church, their life gets conformed to Jesus by being persecuted and slandered and arrested. We're going to be regularly put into situations that are <laughs> uncomfortable at the least. And so Jesus gives us the resources to begin to attack, to shore up and be prepared for, to try to root out worry. So that's why we worry, as Jesus goes straight for our most fundamental necessities. Let's think about then this command, don't worry. Why we do it? Now he tells us not to do it. Therefore, I tell you, don't be anxious. So point two, don't worry. Now, as we we do that, let's let's see, this is an instruction, right? Don't worry. Um, It's maybe worth saying that there are multiple kinds of commands and instructions in the world. So, uh, what do I mean by that? Well, take a teenager who is um, out past curfew and in a part of town where they should not be. And you call your teenager on the phone and you say, come home. That's an instruction. That's a command, right? Like, you're doing something you shouldn't be doing and I'm telling you to fix that right now. Come home, right? Okay, now take a teenager who calls you with news that he's been cut from the team. And you say... Come home. Same words. If they look on the page, they're going to look exactly the same. But that's an instruction that's really more of an invitation, right? Like, you're in a bad spot. You're hurting. Come home. And when you say come home then, it's still an instruction. But it's, a, it's an invitation because you're going to make him some food. You're going to have a conversation, maybe pray together. You're going to do whatever it's going to be to help comfort in time of distress. So when Jesus says, 
don't worry. I think he's, he's giving us more of an invitation than a slap on the cheek or the wrist. It's, it's an instruction. It's a command. He's the king. And he's, our, he's our Lord. So we listen to him. And we, we shouldn't worry. But some of us have very sensitive consciences. Uh, and when we hear, don't worry, and then you find worry in your life, your first thought isn't, Jesus invites me to find rest. Your first thought is, I'm breaking another rule. <laughs> when Jesus says, don't worry, don't be anxious, you need to hear that in the same tone that you would hear when Jesus says, come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. You know Jesus wasn't wagging his I mean, You just can't wag your finger and say that, can you? Come to me, I will give you rest. You know, nobody does that. You hear that in the tone you should. And you should hear this command in the same way. Don't worry. Don't be anxious. And he's going to give us resources to accept that invitation. To come find rest in him. Four questions is what he asks in verses 25 through 30 that help us kind of root out our anxiety. And the first one is, uh, the second half of 25, the question is, is survival all there is? He says, don't worry about your life. What you will eat what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. Isn't life more than food? The body more than clothing? Right? Food and clothing are our survival needs. And the first question Jesus asks us is, really, is survival all there is? Isn't life more than that? You get consumed on these things. You need to lift your eyes and see the great vista of what God has made your life for. When he says, isn't life more than food, clothing, these things, survival, I take, I hear he's saying, what's, what's our purpose for being here? Why do you have life? Why did God make it and give it to you? What was it, what's it for? There's a, a Greek word, telos, means the end, purpose, the goal. Um, everything has a, a telos, a purpose, and life is no different. So what are we supposed to do with our bodies? What are we supposed to do with our souls and our lives? What are they for? And the answer we say pretty regularly is to display the glory and wonder of God. To bear his image. To be what Jesus told us to be. As perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. That's what we're after. We're his image bearers. Shouldn't that be a more central concern than just surviving? How am I going to survive? Is too small a question for people who follow Jesus. And take God at his word. How can I live to reflect the glory of God? That's the question that should be rolling around in our hearts and our souls. And so I would encourage you to ask the same question about whatever it is that worries you. Maybe it's something like right now. You came to church anxious. Maybe this week something will pop up. But I think it's a great question to then substitute whatever you're really worried about. Isn't life more than, fill in the blank, isn't life more than job security? Isn't life more than a passing grade? Isn't life more, you know, than keeping the kids safe? Isn't life more than making the team? Whatever that, I mean, whatever the anxiety is that you're facing or that you will face or is a persistent thing in your life, ask that question in your terms, in your life, in a way that makes sense. Like, isn't life more than that? And of course, the answer is yes, life is more than that. That's the answer Jesus is trying to elicit from us. But if you're honest, you might be realized, what it might do is it might make you realize, like, honestly, the answer is no. (laughs) No, for me, I really think that is all of life. Like, if I make bad grades, life is over. If I don't make the team, life is over. If I, might, if I get fired, life is over. I mean, you wouldn't say that quite as bluntly, which is why the question's helpful. But you can operate that way. You can functionally act like that's true. And so if the question exposes that, like, like no, it's not. That is my life. 
that reputation or, or that credential or you know, um, that security. What you've done, what Jesus has done by giving you this question, what the Spirit has done in bringing us to your mind, is you've unearthed the lie that you're believing. Because your life is more than whatever you're going to fill in the blank with. Your life is more than that. Life is for more than that. And you probably have unearthed an idol you're worshiping. Something even that's very good that you've made ultimate and now you're serving. It's a helpful question. It's question number one. Isn't life more than? Is survival all there is? Is that all there is? Um, it's been a helpful exercise for me in my dealings with anxiety here and there. Uh, to ask that question and then kind of take it to its worst possible conclusion. Catastrophize it. Uh, what do I mean by that? Like if it, uh, what I ask is, like, okay, I'm worried about this. If it really goes as bad as I'm worried that it will, if it really goes that bad, what if it goes worse? <laughs> I'm worried that, I, you know, um, uh, well, I, who knows? I, 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 the, the most recently anxiety thing I did was I got the wrong bag off the baggage claim when we returned from uh, Turkey with Joseph and got it all the way to my in-law's house and realized after everything had closed that I had the wrong bag that I've now brought through customs and looked at the border patrol agent and said, yeah, nothing to declare. <laughs> I don't know what's in that bag. I don't know. I've never done this before. I was seriously up all night, like, worried. What on earth? What am I going to do? Uh, who, who have I deprived of their luggage was uh, some of my thought. But to be, uh, you know, all to my shame, uh, it was more like, what am I going to do about me? What are the consequences here? And so you, like, you can catastrophize. Like, okay, if it's as bad as I think it's going to be, what could be, like, the worst and I, I even know as I'm doing it, like, this is not what's going to happen. Massive fines, jail time. I don't know what Border Patrol is going to do. Probably nothing, right? But I can run it all the way out, and then right there, see, this, this is where the exercise gets helpful. Right there, you say, okay, well, if that happens, isn't God there? Oh, he is. He will be. This is ridiculous. It's not going to go that far, but even if it does, isn't life more than that? Isn't God still a good father then? I wish that it like made me go to sleep instantly, that thought. No, I had to wrestle with that for a while. Um, but that, it's been a helpful exercise for me. I commend it to you. Like, if it really goes as bad as you think, isn't your father gonna be present with you then? Because, I mean, it went to the grave for his son. And it will one day go to the grave. If Jesus has come back, go to the grave for you. And guess where Jesus is? Right there. <clears throat> so, one, is survival all there is? Really, is life is more than whatever it is you're worried about. <clears throat> and there will be grace for those moments when you need them. The second question, as Jesus then brings up, aren't you, more worth, worth, aren't you, <clears throat> aren't you worth more than birds? Aren't you worth more than birds? Consider, Jesus says, here's another instruction, right? A command. Look at the birds. And when we look at the birds, what should we see? Well, we should see that they don't do all the human work of planting and sowing and reaping, storing. And yet, God feeds them day by day. We just looking with uh, Leah out the window this morning at the birds in the yard, you know, perking, finding nuts or worms or bugs or whatever they're finding as they're pecking at our yard. And the point isn't, Right, that you and I should not sow and reap and gather. That's not what he's saying. You can see trouble coming off. You can lay up for the day of trouble. Because uh, you know what else we don't do is we don't migrate to warm climates when food dries up in one place. Like, we're not birds. 
But you know what birds don't do? Uh, is they, they don't be anxious and worried. You don't see the birds like anxiously tossing in their nests at night. Oh, what if the worms aren't there tomorrow? God's going to give them providence. They're going to they go to sleep. They wake up. Whatever God's providence brings that day, they respond to. They take. And that's what we're supposed to learn. Look at the birds. Look, God cares about birds. Aren't you worth more than them? Yes, you are worth more than them. The third question, that's more, then the third question is another short question. Does worry make your life better? It's in verse 27. Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? It's a word picture of the ESV footnotes. It literally is like, who can add a cubit to his stature? You, you can't make yourself grow physically, and you can't make the span of your life get any longer. Your worry doesn't do any good, does it? Does it make your life better? Does it add even 10 minutes? Yeah, evidence is actually the exact opposite, right? The, the more evidence we have, the more it becomes clear that worry actually shortens our lives, if it does anything. It has negative health effects on us. Um, and so it's a useless thing to nurse that anxiety and run all the scenarios you can't control over and over in your mind, right? I'm, I'm lying awake in bed, maybe part of it's jet lag, a lot of it's worry. It's not doing me any good. It's not helping me handle the next day any better. And I, see, the thing is, I know that while it's happening. And you probably know that a lot of times when it's happening. Like, I'm, I'm worried about this thing, and I know I shouldn't be, and yet I can't seem to get over it. But this question is still helpful, even in those circumstances. Even when it feels like your anxiety is out of control. Because it drives us back to the Lord and his providence. I can't even fix my anxiety. And, and worrying about that's not going to be any good. I mean, that's, that's the, the thing. If you're going to take this question the wrong way, you're going to get worried about your worry. You're going to get anxious about your anxiety, right? Like, I just can't get it together. I know it's useless and it's making my life shorter and it's having bad health consequences and I'm still doing it. Why am I still doing it? You're going to spin up and anxious about your anxiety. <laughs> I mean, we just really are weak. And this question should drive us back. Oh, yeah, who does hold my lifespan in his hand? Who has determined the days of my life? Every one of them written in his book before I was even conceived. Well, well God, that's part of what Psalm 104 is about, right? You, God gives food when he hides his face. Uh, when, it, when he opens his hand, the creatures are filled with good things. When he hides his face, they're dismayed. When you take their breath of life, they die and return to the dust. I mean, our days are in God's hands, and it's the spirit that gives life and his providence that, that takes it. <clears throat> and your anxiety can't change that. Mine, mine can't change that. Our, our worry about these things doesn't change the plan and providence of God that he has decreed for us. What it can do is keep us fighting against it. So even if it feels out of your control, right, asking that question, is this helping me? It's not doing any good drives you to the Lord to give it to him, to ask for mercy and grace, and to renew your trust in his goodness. I'm not doing myself any good. God, you are the one that must do me good. And so let me ask this, let me, while we're on this topic right here, this part, let me just say that if you persistently struggle with anxiety, 
There's lots of rhetoric out there about mental health, which can be almost as stigmatizing as not talking about it at all, because then you've got to admit, I'm mentally unhealthy. But I just want to tell you, beloved, that the blessings that the sermon started with, the Sermon on the Mount in chapter 5, were all those upside-down blessings. And the way you find blessing is by being poor in spirit. So something in you, when you get anxious and you deal with these things persistently, is going to tell you, Satan, something satanic, is going to whisper, put on a good front, don't admit this weakness. You know you're being stupid. So don't tell anybody. Act like you've got it under control. And I want to urge you, talk back to that. I mean, as explicitly as possible. Like, get behind me, Satan. That's a satanic thought that robs you of the, the re- recourse that God has given us for finding the blessings of bringing these things into the light. You, you can't do any good by being dishonest about yourself, to yourself or to others. So if that's you, if you're particularly prone to that, even if the little things, but certainly if it's a persistent thing, don't hide it and put on a front. Listen to the invitation. It's not making your life better, so bring it to the light and receive grace and help. This fourth question Jesus asks is, uh, don't you dress better than grass? God won't, God, won't God address you better than grass? That's another command. Look at the lilies of the field, the, wild, the wildflowers. Look how they grow. They don't toil or spin. You know, they don't work real hard to make clothing for themselves, and yet, Jesus says, I tell you, even Solomon in his glory wasn't arrayed like one of these. And some way, you know, he's looking at the, the wildflowers in the field. And he says, look, look, they, they just are. They don't work really hard to be glorious. They just are. And Solomon, in all of his glory, I don't, I don't exactly know what Jesus means. How Solomon could be less glorious than a field of wildflowers. I suspect it's because something about clothing and textiles in ancient, the ancient world is not nearly as... Um, vibrant as we see today, uh, and certainly because Solomon had to clothe himself from outside of himself, and the, the grass is just clothed by God as it is. But the point that Jesus is making, right, is if you look at the fields, and look at the wildflowers, and the, God dresses the grass with such glory. Don't you think he'll dress you and even more? God's going to dress you better than the grass. It's similar with the birds, right? By the time we get here, you know, we have all these questions floating around in our minds. Jesus has just given to us, and especially now if we get to read them and think about them together, I think it's a little bit disorienting because we have a couple of questions that are really, really pointed on the one hand. They're sort of implied grandeur, like you're made in God's image. Your life is for more than just survival. Um, your life is in God's hands. He cares for you, right? More glory than Solomon, if if the grass is more glorious than Solomon and you're going to be more glorious than the grass, you're destined for more glory than Solomon. These are images like really big and grand. But then the two explicit commands, right? Think about the birds and think about the field. Think about the grass, wildflowers. Um, you're worth more than birds and you're going to dress better than grass. You're like, I mean, thanks, I think. I mean, you know, birds were the cheapest of the offerings that the Israelites could bring to the tabernacle, the temple. Because anybody could afford them. They're just not worth very much. You can go catch them on the hillside. Uh, uh, you're worth more than that. 
and grass. Even Jesus mentions it's proverbial for being really transient, alive today and in the oven tomorrow. It's proverbial all over the Bible. That's, that's one of the things we're regularly encouraged to think about grass. And, and, and you're going you're gonna to be better than that. Right? So, I don't, and I think you come to the end. Maybe, maybe you can think like this, this is supposed to free me from anxiety. Um, if you don't know Rich Mullins, you maybe should listen to some of his albums. A song about heart, all about the uh, Sermon on the Mount. Uh, you know, he says, he will watch over you and he will watch over me. So we can dress like flowers and eat like birds. And this is supposed to help with our anxiety? Yes. Yes. It's terrible, it's terrible for you to realize, realize you are not the sun holding the planets in orbit. Isn't it? Like the weight of the world doesn't rest on your shoulders. The weight of your world doesn't even rest on your shoulders. It's amazingly calming when you know that you can live into the greatest glory imaginable. To bear the image of God. To draw near to the throne of grace. To represent him to the world with the message of good news and a life that's being made into the image of our perfect heavenly father. That you can live into that greatest glory imaginable and do it with nearly nothing the world says you need. You can be starving and naked and glorify God. And we know because Jesus did it. Naked and dying on a cross. And he said in John, when he was lifted up, he's going to draw all men to himself. When we're anxious, we're too big and God is too small. Our problems, our fears, our worries seem dominating. And God seems small maybe because he seems distant or maybe because he seems withdrawn or maybe because he seems too weak. And what Jesus, I think these questions ease us into seeing <clears throat> as he says, God loves you and cares for you and you're going to eat better than the birds. He draws us in this, meditating on these things to see God in his glorious immensity, that he is everywhere always. He is present in everything. The smallest bird doesn't fall to the ground apart from the will of God. There is not a second of your life that transpires apart from the will of God. We see God in his immensity, and, and then we also then see us brings our fears and ourselves into scale. This thing that I think would be ruining my life, ah, you know, it really actually won't. It might be hard, it might be really difficult, it might be really difficult. But even in the valley of the shadow of death, we fear no evil because he's with us. So the invitation not to worry is an invitation to, to meditate on the reality that God has created us to bear his image and he has created a lot of us. And he is massively gracious and massively glorious and eminent and present in every moment and every place of all of his creation. To see him as he is so that we bring ourselves scaled down to size, small but dearly loved. And if you get that, those things together, when I get those things together, like I'm not the center of even my world... <laughs> And yet God loves me and sent his son for me, is watching over me and cares for me. Those things together, man, that's dynamite against worry. 
as you meditate and ponder. It's not going to, like, sometimes it happens fast. Sometimes the Spirit can really apply that and, and you relax. Sometimes you have to ponder and meditate and come back to and uh, pray. The anxiety seems really entrenched. And, and sometimes, psychologists, psychiatrists, medical professionals can tell us, you know, the anxiety becomes such a rut in your mental and hormonal systems that it's just kind of becomes the default, that that's what you immediately enter into. And it takes a lot of time, can take a lot of time, for those ruts to reset. I don't even know if it'll happen. Maybe you're struggling with that particularly right now. And I, don't, I can't even promise you it'll happen um, before you die. But I think part of Jesus' imagery and the grass being alive today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, and yet we're going to be clothed with greater glory than the glory of Solomon, is, is, is to at least set us on a track that will lead us to the resurrection. I don't know when your worries will be over, and I don't know when our bodies will respond like they're supposed to, and in all of our weakness, we may be confessing our weaknesses until the day we die, but you know the day you die, you will enter into glory, and the day you rise, you'll never experience anxiety again, ever, ever. God will raise you and clothe you in glory and give you the new creation and you can be confident that whatever you deal with now and however hard it is to listen and receive this invitation, it will not be hard for you on that day. You will be free. The king is commanded, don't worry, and you will. You will, by the power of the Spirit in the glory of the resurrection at least and I would say probably in all likelihood many times before but certainly by the resurrection, you will listen and you will obey. That's what the Spirit does. You don't need to be anxious. Bring God into all of his glorious immensity. Let your problems be scaled to size. Let it happen. You're going to want to fight that. Your flesh will fight it. I don't want my problem to be scaled down. I don't, I don't want to see that it's just a small problem in, in a big world because it kind of feels good in some ways to be anxious and worried and feel like it's on your shoulders. So let the questions do what I think Jesus intended them to do. See God and bring you down to scale. You don't worry. Instead, the righteous. I mean, he's given us questions to attack our worry, um, but then he, he gives us something positive to do. He tells us, you know, don't just settle for being anxiety-free. Seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So third point, right? Why worry? We worry because we get anxious. We're too big. God's too distant. Don't worry by bringing God and seeing God in all his glory so that our problems come down to scale. And then what we should be busy doing, what we should be living our lives doing, is pursuing righteousness. Be righteous. Uh, he says, he comes back, Jesus says, <clears throat> verse 31, therefore, right? Back to that therefore. Having, having given us these questions, cast this picture, put these images in our mind. He says, so, so don't be anxious saying, what do we eat or drink or wear? Why? Because the Gentiles seek all these things. And your father knows you need them. The Gentiles is a reference to all the nations that don't know God as a good father. All the peoples who don't know Jesus as son of God who came to bring the father's kingdom. They're not seeking God. They're not seeking God's rules. And so they're anxious. We're anxious. That's why our society is anxious. If we ever had a sense as a people, as a community and a culture, right, that, that we live under the wise and good providence of a faithful God, if we ever had that sense, we've lost it. It's certainly not what permeates our culture now. And because we live as if this world is all there is, and we're not under the good providence of a generous and gracious father, we're anxious. We don't really have a choice. I mean, that's, that's because of who we are and because of the way reality is. When you think the world rides on your shoulders, when you're busy, you know, 
radically being self-absorbed. They were a nation of radical individualists all trying to create our own identities and construct our own meanings and then make the rest of the world bow to our own preferences and appetites. We're playing God and it's destroying us because we're not. That's why the Gentiles, the Gentiles seek these things. They're anxious about these things. The world around you, our culture, people are worried and anxious about getting what will make them happy. And they're not thinking about food. They might be thinking about personal identities or sexual ethics or, um, you know, uh, historic injustices that then give rise to envy right now. Or like, let me get what, what I think I need. But you, beloved, you do know that God is a good and gracious Father. You do know the world is under the command, you know, the divine level of a God who is overflowing with blessedness and generosity. And, and even on the human level, there is a man, Jesus Christ, on the throne of the world, ruling over heaven and earth, who gave his life generously so that we could be raised from our death. We know that. That he made your life, your body, your hunger, your thirst. You know that he can satisfy your appetites exactly where and how is best for you. you can, we can at least assent to that, right? We can know that when we're sitting here together. That life is more than food and the body is more than clothing. It's for God, which is why seeking his kingdom and his righteousness is our first priority. <clears throat> uh, it's like, you know, don't think about pink elephants. You can't just not think about pink elephants. You gotta, you gotta actively pursue something else. And Jesus says, don't worry, but you can't just not worry you got to be busy doing something. And the thing that you should be busy doing is seeking his kingdom and his righteousness. Now, you'll notice, this, is, this struck me, uh, he concludes all the questions by calling them, he coins a term. It's, uh, scholars of Greek can't find this word. I mean, things, things like Jesus made up this word, this word, little faith. Oh, you of little faith. It's one word in Greek, uh, little faiths, uh, that he used to describe us when we're anxious. <laughs> we're little faiths. We, don't, we, have, we have a little trust. Just a little. Kind of enough to come near to God, but not enough to think he's really going to care about us. And you notice what he doesn't say is to have more faith. I think that's striking. He doesn't turn us back in on ourselves. That's a question, that, and that's an instruction that would turn you back in on you. I don't have enough faith. I've got to figure out how to have more faith. He doesn't do that. He, he turns you out of yourself. He gives you all the questions so that you'll see God in his immensity and you, and, you to scale. And then he says, so get busy seeking God's kingdom. That's what you should be doing. Live under God's good rule. What he says, do. What he forbids, avoid. What he cherishes, cherish. What he abhors, abhor. That's always what we're after. That's what life is for. When he says, isn't life more than whatever that fill in the blank is for you? That's what it's for. It's for his kingdom to come. For his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So do that. Seek that. Be spending your life and asking the question, how am I going to get out of this anxiety? No, but how should I honor God and love my neighbor today, right now? Seek God's kingdom and seek God's righteousness. Look. Like, look at the birds. Look at the grass. And look at God's righteousness. Look at how God keeps his promises. Look at how God always works in his saving faithfulness. Look at, look at how God is always true to his word. Look at how God acts when his people need provision. Look at how righteous God is. We can see that. I mean, we have a whole record of that history in the scriptures. And never more clearly than in him sending his son. Look at how righteous God is. How good and generous and saving. 
Seek that. Focus on that. Don't say to yourself, I got to figure out how to fix my anxiety. (laughs) Turn your eyes off of yourself. And that'll take some work. I mean, I know it's exhausting work sometimes to get your eyes fixed on God, meditate on him, not come back then to yourself, yourself, yourself. So seek that and then uh, seek how God is righteous and then be seeking his righteousness in the sense of how you can be righteous in the same way, how you can be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. The way he treats you, treat others. The way he establishes justice, seek justice. The way he gives mercy, you give mercy. The way he tells the truth, you tell the truth. The way he's patient with you, be patient with others. Just multiply these things. Seek God's kingdom. Oh God, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in my life as you would have me do. And seek his righteousness. How he is faithful to all of his works and all of his words and how he has made us to be that way. So that in your anxiety, whether you're, you know, this, this should be the thing we're doing all the time, but especially when you're worried, anxious, Call to mind God's immensity. Let yourself be shrunk to scale. And then just ask, not how do I stop being worried, but what can I do? What can I do for somebody else? How can I love you? How can I love my neighbor? What would you have me do to bear your image right now? And all these things will be added to you. Often in life, you'll find that you're better able to do what God has made you to do. You're better able to be provided for as God has meant for you to be provided for if you're being faithful. If you're seeking his kingdom and you're seeking his righteousness, you'll often find your soul will be satisfied. Your life will have what you need when you need it. Part of that will come from the support and care of others. Part of what God, Jesus is doing is he's binding all of us together as his body, as his disciples, that if we seek the kingdom, then I'm seeking to love you and you're seeking to love me and we're all watching out for each other and not thinking about ourselves, then he's providing among his body what we need. And just having read Acts, I mean, be reading through Acts, the Bible challenge and, and studying in the Sunday school. I mean, we, we just see this over and over. This is what the church did and does. When people fall into hard times and painful circumstances, they rally. We rally around each other. If you seek his kingdom, if you seek to be faithful to him, if you seek to love as you've been loved, rest in him, part of his solution to you will be others. So let me say again, part of that's confessing, being honest about where you're at. Part of that's the anxieties you have, talking to others about them. And part of that's when you have a real need for food and clothing, you make it known. Part of that is knowing each other so well that when those things happen, we we are aware For sure, again, it will happen. It will happen when we're raised from the dead. Jesus, regularly in his life, demonstrates what it looks like to trust God, to seek his kingdom, to not be anxious, but to do the will of God. So we we, we read of times when he's under physical threat. Uh, His synagogue in Capernaum preaches a message that he's the Messiah, and they want to go throw him off a cliff. And God, in his providence, you know, hit Jesus. He said Jesus was able to pass through them, because it wasn't yet his time. He was perfectly secure, even in the face of a hostile crowd. Uh, sitting at the well in Samaria in John 4, he's hungry. His disciples, disciples, I don't know He's having a conversation with this woman, uh, telling her about the kingdom of God. She seems, she comes to faith. She goes to tell her whole, whole, whole city, right, about what's going on. The disciples come back, and 
Jesus says, I have food you don't know about. And they say, well, somebody bring him something to eat? And he says, no, my food is to do God's will. So we see Jesus I mean, not getting, you know, Satan tempts him, right? Make rock the bread so that you can feed yourself. No, 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 I can be hungry, it's fine. My food is to do the will of him who sent me. Uh, they can't trap him in his words. He's always ready with wisdom, but even by the Spirit. You know, until his hour comes. Until it's time for his death to glorify God. And then he shows us what it's like when divine providence seems to smile, uh, frown. When he's stripped of his clothing, deprived of his food, beaten in his body, hung on a cross. And yet he seeks the kingdom. I would love to not drink this cup, Father. This is a cup I'd like to not drink. <laughs> but if it's your will, I'll drink it for the good of others. This is not a promise. Everything will be added to you. That means that you will get health and wealth and prosperity, that you'll never be sick and you'll never be hungry. It's a promise that everything you need to live the life God's called you to live, he will give you. We were visiting Singapore. Um, our friends there have a quote from Charles Spurgeon on their wall. I'm going to paraphrase that basically if there was any other circumstance that was better for you than where you're at right now divine love would have put you there. That doesn't mean you, you stuck here like some sort of sadistic like well it hurts right now so I'm just going to stay here because divine love has put me here. No maybe divine love has put you there so that you renewed in his faithfulness so you do the work so that you make the plan so you put your trust in God and you grow. Don't read that fatalistically but do hear it as a promise that whatever God is doing in and through your life, if you are seeking him and seeking his kingdom, he is working to give you everything you need so that you can live life that he's called you to live. And that, like Jesus said in John 4, is food for your soul. It will satisfy you in ways that food and drink and clothing can never satisfy. A joy that is deeper than anything in this earth can take away and stores up a treasure that can never rust or decay. So, don't be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. You got enough trouble today. You don't even honestly know whether you'll be alive tomorrow. None of us do. Seems likely, but not guaranteed. All you can do is what you ought to do today. That's all we can do. That's what God has given us. Give us today what we need for today. Give us today our daily bread. So what should you be doing today? You should be seeking to live this whole day trusting, obeying, and glorifying God. And that's what you should do again tomorrow. When you wake up on Monday and it's today, Monday is today and not tomorrow, you should do all that you can to spend your whole day trusting and obeying and glorifying God, loving God and loving your neighbor, starting with your household, your nearest neighbors, workplaces and communities around the globe. You'll work to earn a paycheck in a godly way or you'll manage your household resources in a way that is righteous like God is righteous. You have a 10-page paper due in two days, uh, uh, doing a week and so you make plans for when you're going to get that accomplished and then you do the day's work that you've planned. You consider giving and saving what you should give and save for today. You make your plans and carry them through day by day and that's all you can do is what you've got today. And today has plenty of trouble. Rather, it's planning for tomorrow, it's certainly not worrying about tomorrow. Today's job is not to worry about tomorrow. Make plans for it. Be wise. And do what God has given you today. Love your brothers and sisters. Are there needs you can meet this day? Is there a call or a text you should send this day? 
4 a.m. when you're up and you're anxious and nobody else is awake, you're like, what can I do? You can always pray. What can you do with a 4 a.m. anxiety that you can't get back to sleep? You can rail against it and rage against it and be anxious that you're not getting enough sleep. Or you could open the Bible. You could pray for the friends that come to mind. You could ask God to help you renew in his trust. There's always something you can do to seek God in his righteousness and trust that he is a good and gracious father who is going to give you everything you need exactly when you need it for your eternal life. Let's pray and thank him.